Hi, everybody. It's Lauren, one of your hosts for the Market Matters podcast. Happy Labor Day for our U.S. listeners and happy rentrée for those beyond our shores. You heard last week that there's a lot on Congress's plate this September, particularly with respect to infrastructure, both physical infrastructure and human infrastructure. As investors prepare for related debates, we thought it would be helpful to throw back to an earlier episode on the topic. The debates, the topics, and most importantly, the investment takeaways still apply. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week for more Market Matters. We're just over 100 days into the Biden administration, and the spending plans are coming in hot. What should investors make of physical and even human infrastructure? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of May 3rd, 2021. And we have to apologize to our listeners for our radio silence last week. No pun intended. We had a technical snafu in that episode, but we're back, we're here, and today we get to talk about infrastructure. So much happened last week, particularly in Washington. The White House unveiled President Biden's latest major piece of legislation, the American Families Plan, which is a $1.8 trillion social spending bill funded by individual tax hikes on wealthy Americans. The administration is calling this human infrastructure after a different $2.25 trillion plan on physical infrastructure. It's a lot of spending between these two plans. And of course, at this point, it's all proposals. There's plenty of policy cutting and pasting to do before anything is passed or concerned. But if you think about all the different implications, more spending on roads and bridges and green infrastructure and childcare and some of that funded by tax increases, that's a lot for investors to piece together. It is a lot of investors to piece together, and it's also a lot of spending. And I'm sure we'll get to it later, but it is important to note that it is a lot of spending over a long period of time. Today, we're just going to focus in on that infrastructure part of the spending. As you mentioned, Lauren, these plans go well beyond fixing just bridges and roads. It includes investments in green and renewable technologies, the care economy, regulatory frameworks, broadband distribution, other redistributive policies, which means taxes. And I'm going to say right here that taxes are an important enough conversation to merit their own podcast. So we'll probably have to cover that in another episode soon. Yeah, I completely agree. We're going to pull that out, focus on it, give it its own light of day soon. So then today, focusing in on the spending part, since we've seen just a lot of government spending poured into COVID relief already, I think it's important to dig into why the government is looking at spending more money on a lot of not COVID-related stuff. Yeah, why do you think that is and why now? 
To do a little storytelling, since the financial crisis, the economy's grown at a somewhat more sluggish pace than it did in the past or before the financial crisis. And labor market pressures really struggled to build, and we're only starting to flourish and see some wage pressures for most Americans right before COVID, so 10 plus years after the crisis. Yeah. And to put some numbers to it, according to the BEA, the economy grew between 3 and 4% in the 70s and 80s versus below only 2% for the last 10 years since the global financial crisis. And wages never really got much higher than 5% annual increases. And in many cases, it wasn't even close to that. Yeah. So then when COVID struck, it really cut off the good part of the expansion at the knees, the part where folks in lower income categories really start to see improvements in their opportunities and in their wages. So forget that opportunity to reduce income inequality. And that was exacerbated by the nature of the pandemic itself. People in service jobs like restaurants and manufacturing had to stay at home, reducing incomes for those in already lower paying jobs, at least on average. And so because schools were closing too, lots of folks, and in reality, this meant mostly women, also had to pare back their working hours. And so you already had a labor market that hadn't quite gotten back to normal after the last crisis. And then it gets cut off by this pandemic, making things even worse. Mm. And so when you look at the spending areas that were identified in the human infrastructure package in the American Family Plan, that's the general idea. Reliable child care and other family care, public health improvements, poverty reduction, important policies that are all aimed to try to address this problem you just talked about, Lauren. Yeah, that's the general idea. And if we speak strictly on economic terms, improving on issues like inequality and labor force participation actually improve productivity. And the long-term trend of economic growth is pulled up when productivity is pulled up. And so more growth means better investment opportunities. And so while it feels a little bit obtuse, the perfect world vision for this type of spending actually makes a lot of sense for improving the investment environment. The challenge, though, is that it takes lots of time, like years and years, and consistent investment, which is a lot of spending, for this to start to make a difference. And so it makes it both practically and politically pretty difficult to see the perfect world this bill is aimed at. Yeah. And spending is still spending, which brings us back to the taxes part and even the deficit. Another time, another time. (laughs) Sure. But we jumped right into human infrastructure and skipped right over the physical infrastructure part. This too seems to be encompassing the idea of a new world or a better steady state economy. The idea is to include surface infrastructure, your traditional bridges and roads and such, but also green infrastructure, renewable energy, internet access, and also some changes to the financial systems infrastructure. Sounds like what you were mentioning earlier around more transparency and standardization in reporting. Exactly, exactly. But we should say again that these are all just ideas right now at this point. A lot of this stuff is going to get lost along the way as policymakers debate the key issues and trade-offs and try to find consensus. But at the end of the day, we do expect some infrastructure spending to get passed. And so it's useful to consider what that means for investment opportunities. And that brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And today we'll focus on, well, infrastructure. Yes, I want to focus on this. So many investors have been asking us about how to invest in the government spending plans 
And if you're going to invest in infrastructure, where it fits in a portfolio. Well, you can probably tell that Robert's been working with our investment teams on this topic a lot lately. So maybe Robert, I'll treat you like a special guest. Oh my gosh, not nearly as special as some of the other guests we've had on the program, but I'm honored. One of the reasons that infrastructure is an interesting investment idea is that it's a real asset. That makes it different from financial assets like stocks and bonds. Could we start there and give our listeners some more context on real assets? What is that? We talked about it a little bit with respect to commodities, but from an infrastructure perspective, what's a real asset? Why does it matter? Sure, sure. Well, when you invest in stocks, you're getting exposure to the profits that that company makes. And when you invest in bonds, you're getting exposure to the debt payments that that company or government or institution makes. Real assets provide the framework and resources to facilitate everyday activity in the world economy. And there's really three buckets that these can fall into. You have real estate, you have infrastructure, and you have commodities. Unlike conventional stocks and bonds, the value of listed real asset investments comes from the physical nature of their underlying assets. What the utility is of that real asset, the true supply and demand for those economists out there. Real assets often store long-term value better than more traditional investments, and their value may also increase due to higher utilization, greater demand, or a scarcity of supply. I'd like to just say that that was very well said, but also you should notice that I was very polite and didn't interrupt you to point out that you too always have three buckets when you analyze things. Real estate, infrastructure, commodities, three things. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm both extremely proud of you for not interrupting, but I also have to say that there just only were three things here. (laughs) Well, anyway, you mentioned the potential for rising value, and I can't help but point out that part of the reason real assets are interesting for many investors is that they help absorb inflation a little better, or at least that's the idea. Yeah, that's a great point. We talked about inflation a lot recently. It's top of mind for investors. The general idea, as we've mentioned before, is that as prices move up in the economy, the value of real assets tend to move along with it making them more effective inflation hedges than some potential financial assets. Okay, that makes sense. And as you mentioned, investors are clearly concerned with the inflationary environment that we may be seeing soon. But we're also facing some very serious real asset concerns with respect to infrastructure with, in the U.S., what we'd call crumbling infrastructure, at least according to the American Society of Civil Engineers, who in their 2021 report gave us a whopping C minus in the US for our infrastructure. So besides the inflation thing, what's the case for infrastructure right now? Well, infrastructure in general is just essential to society's function. Critical assets like water, power, satellite networks, ports, roads, bridges, they support all goods and services. I couldn't think of a good and service that doesn't rely on that infrastructure in some way. And even without the persistent underinvestment in infrastructure that the U.S. has experienced since the global financial crisis, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, estimated that global infrastructure needs, so not just in the U.S., require $6.3 trillion annually from 2016 to 2030 just to support continued economic growth and development. For investors... Industry specifics that associated with infrastructure like consistent demand, predictable growth, high barriers to entry, it's very difficult to build a bridge, make it an attractive asset class. So looking ahead, 
if you pair the good industry specifics with the infrastructure need and then the financial dynamics like historically attractive valuations, policy support, and the decarbonization effort of the economy right now, this will likely further drive investment opportunities in infrastructure. Yeah, that's a whopping figure, $6.3 trillion per year. When here in the US, we're talking about $2.25 trillion over eight years. That's $6.3 trillion is a lot of money. But before we take the case away from infrastructure or close the topic, I'd be interested if there's just anything else that's interesting about infrastructure that we've overlooked up to this point. That's a really good question. I think that there are really important policy tailwinds for this asset class, as we've already discussed, related to the American Jobs Plan and other government spending in this area, maybe a pickup from municipal spending as well as state and local governments begin to recover from the crisis. I think it's important to understand how real assets can add value to a portfolio even outside of that policy tailwind, which often goes overlooked. Getting to the very basic economics of the trade, real asset investments that offer a stable source of income, a stable yield, supported by their contractual cash flows. These investments have assets that just tend to be monopolistic. They provide strong and consistent good income streams that are usually derived from their fee-for-use nature. Alternative income sources like these may also prove good for investors in today's low but rising rate environments where more traditional yield opportunities and options like bonds offer little margins for air. Yeah, I love that idea. And it's something that's been coming up more and more with investors lately, this idea that, you know, in the short term, we might have this economy running hot, but in the long term, we're still looking at a lower for longer yield environment. And so investments like this that can leverage reopening and policy trends, but still provide that stable income are helping investors to think more creatively about the, the 40 fixed income in their in their 60-40 portfolio. And we have a recent episode about that for those that want to know more. But where infrastructure is concerned, policy tailwind, cash flow generation, some potential to keep up with inflation, sounds like a really interesting idea. Coming up next, it's jobs report week. New unemployment claims have been steadily declining for a few weeks in a row now, but in last week's Fed meeting, Chair Powell said that we're nowhere near a solid labor market yet. Investors will be watching these monthly reports very closely in the coming months to see how close we are to a Fed move. I'm personally looking for a million plus jobs added per month and some improvement in other labor market indicators before we even need to get worried about that. Yeah, that actually surprised me a bit when he made that comment about this solid labor market, but he's a much smarter man than I am. So I will be closely watching the wrap up of earnings season. More than half of companies in the S&P 500 have already reported earnings results for Q1 2021. And they're beating their estimates by a wider margin than average. And it's showing rapid profit growth for corporations as we recover from the financial crisis. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website. That's newyorklifeinvestments.com and clicking the insights tab. Until then, I'm Robert Zarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time.
Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.